So if you are a voting member, you got a letter for part of the um, nomination process, and the letter, it says that the business meeting is in the 27th, and we change that to the 20th because most of the schools in the northern part of Springs are, uh, that's their spring break. And so we would like to have actual people at the business meeting. So, um, <clears throat> so we just switched it. You'll, you'll, be, you'll be seeing that. Uh, we'll announce it a few times so there's no... <clears throat> no confusion about that. I did want to um, have us just kind of think about and process a lot of the stuff that you're seeing on the news having to do with what's going on in um, Israel and Gaza. And, um, and apparently, according to some of our uh, administration in Washington now, apparently Mexico, Mexico touches uh, the Gaza Strip. I don't know. These... <laughs> These people are nuts. So, but a lot of you're not getting most of the news here in America. You're not getting the stuff that's going on there. It's it's constant stuff every single day, bombing and pushing back. And the idea that uh, the the world is pushing against um, Israel that they need to do a ceasefire and all that kind of stuff, guys. That is that is um, that is evil speaking. Okay, they need to eradicate Gaza of Hamas and just clean it out. Get rid of all those guys and blow up all those tunnels, which they're doing. I've been watching videos all week of, of the tunnels. They'll show a long line, like three-quarters of a mile, just boom, blow up in the tunnels. And I, I love to see that every single time. But, uh, but don't pay attention to the stuff that America keeps saying and the United Nations. United Nations, again, is one of the most anti-Semitic groups in, in, on the entire planet. They, they, they hate Israel. They absolutely hate Israel, and they go after Israel. And so, so uh, our, our responsibility is to support Israel. <clears throat> Not necessarily like everything they do. They're like any other country. They make mistakes, but, um, but support Israel. And so it's, it is getting bad with Iran is now uh, really pushing a lot of limits in a lot of different ways. And some people are saying, well, Iran is going to um, attack America uh, they're going to attack American troops that are in Israel, but Iran's not going to attack America. They can't get their nuclear weapons all the way to America at this stage, but they can get their nuclear weapons to Israel. And so is it off the table that Iran will uh, nuke Israel? No, I think there's a possibility that they will. They're, 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 it's a demonic regime there, extremely demonic. And so, yeah, there's that. There's that possibility. At the end of the day, though, <clears throat> God still is in control, and we really don't see that kind of thing happening in Scripture, at least. We don't see that happening um, at the end time. And so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's hard to say all that. There are, there are things that happen in the tribulation that we see that could fall into those kind of categories. But the biggest thing, you know what we're supposed to do? Pray for Israel. That's what we're supposed to do. And so... Um, I, again, I think if you, if you are interested in knowing the truth about this stuff, there's a lot of places you can educate yourself, a lot of places, a lot of websites, a lot of things you can go to to connect and, um, and, and see what's happening. I didn't mention this in first service because I forgot, but um, I am introducing a bill <clears throat> Tuesday uh, to committee. Last, I, did, I presented the same bill, similar bill, last year in committee, and it got voted down in committee. There is a slight chance... This one is uh, lower the income tax, and so there is a slight chance it might get through the committee and onto the floor this session because 
The governor has been begging, begging for an income tax decrease. And so who knows? Maybe he's not full of it. Maybe he's not lying and he really wants it. And he'll talk to some Democrats about this. But I don't know. I don't have high hopes. Um, <clears throat> I, you just, there's, there's a certain few of us that know when we present bills, they don't, they don't, you don't get to talk about them on the floor. They never get there. So, uh, I did want to mention this the last week. I'm going to mention this next week. We'll talk about, uh, I'll show you all the results of this, but our, our, uh, building commitment, we are, we it, it, this is, I've been watching all of this happening pretty much every, well, every single week, four or five times a week, more of this is coming in. We'll let you know next weekend what the final numbers are. How many people, again, we've I've talked about that's important. How many people are contributing and then um, what the total number is? Uh, that's that, So we can get our financing. We're looking at right now um, in April, stirring that up with the banks. We, we kind of know which bank we're probably going to go with because they were way ahead of everybody last time. They came within a couple hundred thousand of what we needed uh, last time, and we're, we're, we're much higher than that. All the numbers are higher. We'll explain that even in the business meeting. In, uh, in March. But if you still haven't had a chance to do this or you're wanting to, these are in the back of the seat in front of you. You can grab one of those. Commit something uh, to the building. We're, we're seeing a, a lot of different people that are committing uh, monthly, and then also some are like one-time gifts, and some are like, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give at the end of the year, or we'll give this much, or what. I mean, everybody's kind of doing it a little bit unique, and that's it's very interesting. And, and good, the numbers are solid. We're pretty excited about all that, and I'll let you know that at the end. So this series that I'm doing right now, All In, this really is, is uh, focusing on who we are as a church. What are we trying to accomplish? What are we trying to, who are we trying to be really even more than accomplish? Accomplish is, is usually secondary to being. But to really think about who are we trying to be? What is, what has God called us as a church to be? And this All In has to do with we're really going to just... Uh, Commit. We're really going to say, okay, God, and, and not necessarily, you're not necessarily committing to church at Briargate, although that's, I guess that's part of it. <clears throat> I mean, you, I think it's important to commit to a local church and, and do that, but I think the bigger picture is you're saying, we are saying as a body, Jesus, you're first, I'm going to put you first, and then these are the things that we prioritize, and then as individuals are saying, Jesus, we put you first, and these are the things we prioritize, right? <clears throat> so, so to look at this morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about holiness this morning. I think this is an extremely important subject that doesn't seem to get uh, enough um, emphasis in the church in today's society. And to really say, you know, Jesus, Jesus is holy. Jesus is completely holy. He is not, he, he's not holy in the same way that we are striving to be holy. He is holy. Um, Jesus is perfect. Jesus is, is the everything. But here's something that we, we do talk about Jesus in the church. I'm not saying here, but the church. We do talk about Jesus in the church, but I think we leave out some things that are important. That, that back, back when I was a kid growing up in the church, these were the things we talked about all the time to the point where that's all we talked about almost. But I, I think today we've lost a little bit this, that Jesus is not just a, a good guy, the the like the starter of Christianity, that kind of thing. He's actually God of the universe. He's the everything. He's the, the, the word, the logos. And he is also, um, he is the lamb that was slain. He, Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. This is important. Jesus isn't just a good guy that's kind of the leader of this thing. He died because we were on our way to hell. 
This is, this is vitally important that we have to understand. You and I are sinners, and we were on our way to hell, and Jesus died to make it possible, not, not a, a blanket covering. We don't believe in universalism or any of that kind of stuff. But Jesus dies on the cross so that you and I can be forgiven and made right with God. That saves us, puts us in right relationship with God, and saves us from hell. Okay? It does a lot more than that, but I want to I kind of focus in on this. It, it does a lot of things. It provides grace. It provides relationship and all these things, and I'll touch on some of that as we get to the, toward the end. But the big picture is Jesus died on the cross because we are sinners, not just because um, it seemed like a good idea and makes a good tagline for a church mentality. Jesus died on the cross because we are sinners and we were on our way to hell. And, and that is still true today. And God's word tells us that the things that send us to hell. God's word tells us the, 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 the rules that we are supposed to live by. And it's important that we do that. It's important that we understand that for us to say, I am all in with Jesus, there has to be an attitude and a direction <clears throat> of holiness. Okay? Now, to, to make sure we understand the two differences, there's righteousness and uh, we are all the same when it comes to righteous. You are either covered with the blood of Jesus or you are not. If you're covered with the blood of Jesus, you are made right with God or you are righteous. And, and we're all the same. You can't be some covered, more covered. You're either covered with the blood of Jesus or you're not. And I do believe strongly that Scripture shows us that you can be covered with the blood of Jesus and then choose to walk away from Jesus and no longer be covered with the blood of Jesus. Okay, that is a personal choice that you make, and it's built about relationship. There are, the reason I say that is there's <clears throat> parts of um, uh, American Protestant uh, evangelicalism, these things, that believe in what's called unconditional eternal security, or once saved, always saved. And that is <clears throat> that, <clears throat> that once you've got saved, you're saved no matter what. You, it doesn't matter if you sin or don't sin. Uh, you, you know, your sins are already forgiven is one of the ways people say it you know, ahead of time. So in other words, no matter how much people try to say, well, this is not what it means. In other words, sin or don't sin, it doesn't matter. That's literally what it means. You can sin, you cannot sin, you're going to heaven either way. So as long as you, you, know, you, you clock in as a Christian, then you can just do whatever you want. All right? um, I strongly uh, disagree with that mentality. I believe that... Um, I, now, I don't believe it's as easy to, uh, to fall away from God as when I grew up. Okay, when I was growing up, it was like everything was a sin, and if you blink funny, you were going to go to hell right then. Um, I sat in church. Now, I was little. These were Pentecostal churches in Texas, but I remember as a little kid sitting in church and the pastor saying, be careful if you go to the movies Friday night, because if Jesus comes back while you're sitting in that movie, you are not going to heaven. I was like, because I had, I had just been to Bambi. <clears throat> when Bambi came into theaters, that shows you how old I am. It came to the theaters. And, uh, but but I, I don't think it's as easy to, to uh, fall out of relationship with Jesus as I grew up believing, but I also don't believe it's impossible like the church seems to embrace in different areas, that, uh, that it really is dependent upon your relationship. Jesus is not going to make you have a relationship with him. He's not going to force you. He's, he wants you to want relationship with him. Okay, And so to, to be all in, this mentality of holiness... What does this look like? So, Church at Briargate exists to enable people under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to supernaturally draw close to Jesus Christ and to bring as 
many others along as possible. And as I mentioned, this year we're focusing on the supernaturally draw close to Jesus Christ. A little bit more than we probably have in the, in the past, really saying, how, how do we be who Jesus wants us to be? How do I get there? Wherever I'm at, how do I get closer to him? How do I, how do I know more of him and know more of his word and understanding of his spirit and those kind of things? Because these are, this is, everything you're going to see today, this is important, as we're looking through this, everything that we read in scripture today shows us that this is completely your choice. It's not, nothing is forced upon you. Jesus is not going to force you to serve him. He's not going to force you to uh, go by his word. He wants you to, but you choose. He's not going to save you if you don't want to be saved. Um, and it really goes across anything. He's not going to bless you or, or heal you or any of those kind of things if you don't want that. It, it really is choice. You have to choose to pursue God. You have to choose to get in his word. You have to choose to talk to him. You have to choose to have relationship. So Genesis chapter 4, <clears throat> this is, this is kind of early in the whole people story. Um, it's the fourth chapter. The second and third chapter is when they're sinning, and um, Jesus, uh, God comes walking in the garden, and then he uh, kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden. This is, this is when this scripture pops up, is in this part of the conversation. So this is pretty early. The reason I say that is because uh, Adam and Eve sinned, chose something besides God. And I'm going to kind of show you a little bit here with verse 7, what this actually, there's a lot more in verse 7 than what we get totally in the English. There's a, there's a little bit bigger thing here. But Genesis 4 verse 7, it says, you will, be ex- you will be accepted if you do what is right. That's your choice. You can either be accepted by God or not. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. Sin can control you or you can subdue it. That's how easy this is. Sin can control you or you can subdue it and master it. Sometimes we have this mentality in, in church thinking, Christian thinking, that we are, and this, this is propagated strongly by culture, I get this, but that, that we're just like trapped in this thing, and there's nothing we can do, we're, it's hopeless. We're going to sin no matter what, right? And we have all kinds of reasons or excuses or whatever that come up with that, but this says right here, sin can control you, or you can choose to not let sin control you, and it will, you can subdue sin, and you can master this. Right now, here's something where the, the Hebrew adds a little bit more context to it. That's that's subtle enough that it doesn't make it into the English completely. But the uh, the the concept here that that in Hebrew that it's saying is when it says sin can con- control you, there is a sexual context here, or a uh, kind of more of a lust context that's included here. Right. So sin will lure you to lust after something is kind of what this is. With, with a, um, it's kind of a sexual context, but I would say lust more than the sexual context. But the reason I'm saying that is because the foundation of all sin, if you think about it, is we're desiring something that is not of God. God is pure. God is is uh, holy. God is the everything when it comes to holiness and all the other stuff. And, and this, is, 
This is literally sentences after Eve decides to be enticed to give in to what the, the serpent was telling her. And what the serpent said is, um, do you want to know both good and evil? She already knew complete good. There was nothing good that could be added by her choice. The only thing that was changed was that the good was subdued by the darkness that invaded the evil of darkness that invades. And so basically Eve said, I have all of good, but I will choose to embrace the evil. There is something in that evil that is seductive to me. There is something in that evil that is enticing to me, and I desire after. And this is what verse 7 is saying, is there is a lust mentality. I'm, and, and I'm not saying it's purely sexual, though it can be, obviously, but but there is a, a, a carnalness, let me say it that way, a carnalness that reaches out and says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk that line and I want to reach out for that. I want to I be part of that. I've seen this in today's society with, um, well, it's, it's always been there. It's always, you can go to stories in the Bible and the same thing. There's a part of us as human beings that we want to be part of the coolness of whatever society is presenting. Right? We want to be connected, we want to be cool. Um, I was I was thinking about this. I saw I hadn't seen any of these shows in quite a long time, but I saw Happy Days the other day. And uh, Fonzie, it, now that now that Henry Winkler is older, it's really hard for me to see him as Fonzie. But but he's you know he's the bad boy. He's got the motorcycle. He's got the jacket. There's something about us as human human nature that says, "Ooh, that's enticing." You ever you ever seen somebody date the uh, bad girl or the bad guy? And, and everybody knows this is not good for them. But there's that enticement. There's that, there's that carnalness. There's that lusting after something that we know is going to be destructive and devastating. But we go after it because we want to be cool. We want to be whatever. The way we think, the way we act, the way we dress, whatever. We can, we can try to go after that. But you don't have to. You can subdue it and you can master it. But that has to be a choice. You've got you've to just decide someday, no, I don't think I have to. I think I would desire to be holy. I think I would desire to look more like Jesus and less like all the stuff that Satan is offering. I would like to be like Jesus. The first thing here, number one, God did make laws and expects us to obey them. This is something that seems to be very evasive in the, in the church thinking today and, and, and completely non-existent in the, in the world is the fact that, yes, God did make laws and he expects us to obey them. And we're going to be held accountable for them even if we don't obey them. If we decide I'm going to do my own thing, okay, but you're still going to be held accountable. You're going to stand before God. Every one of us are going to stand before God. Now, in the, um, in the context where we're going to the Capitol, it's easier to see it, but it's really in everywhere in life. But it's amazing how many people there feel like we have graduated beyond that stage. The Bible, the church, Christianity stage, we've graduated beyond that. We've evolved. We know more. We are, we are so much more enlightened, so much more educated, which is interesting to me because when I, when I look at a lot of these people, I'm like, I don't even consider you averagely uh, educated or smart. So how are you saying we've graduated so far above all the generations before that followed God that we now know better? And this idea that the Bible is true and that there is such a thing as absolute right and wrong, there's such a thing as sin and not sin, all this, that that's not, that doesn't exist. 
When I get up and say these things or read scriptures, it's, it's laughable to a lot of these people. They think there's something wrong with me. I'm, I'm stuck in like the 1800s or something. Because it's not truth nowadays. God's word is truth. God made rules and we're expected to go by them. We're expected to obey the laws of God. You say, well, I refuse to. You can do anything you want. Everybody can do anything. Paul said that. He said all things are permissible. That didn't mean you have permission to do them. He said you can, you, you, everything out there is possible. But not all things are beneficial. There is accountability. There is accountability for God's laws. 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. It's kind of hard to wiggle around that one. Right? Everything John says. John's like James. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and James are like the strongest books in the entire, probably the whole Bible, but definitely the New Testament. And John just doesn't parse anything. He just said, this is it. Everyone who sins breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away your sins, and there's no sin in him. You, you can be forgiven by the, the covering of the blood of Jesus Christ, and your sins are done away with. He, he puts them as far as the east is from the west. Okay? But you can also choose to go back to those too. You don't have to. You don't have to. You can subdue and master the sin, or you can let sin control you. <clears throat> Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. Now, this is a pretty strong statement because we don't, we don't really embrace this that much in the church. Okay? So again, coming back, there's kind of two philosophies when it comes to um, this idea that you, will, that you will not sin. Okay, the first I've already mentioned, it's kind of the unconditional eternal security, which says, it doesn't say you won't sin, but it just says, well, there's different camps within that. But it says um, that if you, once you accept Jesus, it almost doesn't matter if you sin because you're going to go to heaven anyway. All right? Then there's this, another theology that's called the second definite work of grace, and it's kind of a Pentecostal based, but it also is evangelical, which, it, which basically says that once you get saved, you will not sin anymore. Okay? You will never sin. Now, there's, there's one thing that uh, shows me quickly that it's not true, <clears throat> is me. Right? I look in the mirror. So, but he does say, there is no sin in him. Now, you've been forgiven, so there's no sin in you. But here's another, here's another part of this. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. Now, this makes total sense. If you're in Jesus, you're not going to sin. The reason we sin is because we do the same thing Eve does, is we take our eyes off Jesus, and we, and we according to Genesis 4, we begin to desire, carnally desire, or lust after something that is not the holiness of Jesus Christ. And every single one of us can, can, has the potential for that. In fact, the reason we have a Bible is because we, are all, we all have strong potential for that. God's telling us, don't do that. Just because there is a desire, just because you take your eyes off and you see something enticing over there, doesn't mean that you have to, to go that direction. You can subdue it and you can be master over this rather than letting sin control you. Now, we say, well, yeah, but nobody can be perfect. You're going to sin anyway. There's, there's complete understanding scripturally that that is true. But here's the thing is I think we use that almost as a default. And I'm saying within ourselves as, as a uh, subconscious default. 
That, well, I, I mean, I'm going to sin, right? It's like, it's like starting a diet and saying, well, I'm going to fail. You don't have to. You don't, you don't have to. You, you could be successful in this, right? But you have to make, the, this is where the choice comes in. You have to make a choice. Am I going to sin? Am I not going to sin? And starting every day with the mentality, Lord, I put on the, the armor of God and I'm not going to walk in, in myself. I'm not going to walk in my existence. I'm going to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to sin today. Because we don't have to. Right? We don't have to. Our flesh is going to give us plenty of opportunities. Satan's going to give us plenty of opportunities. The world's going to give us plenty of opportunities. But it doesn't mean we have to. We have to make that choice somewhere along the way. <clears throat> dear, dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they're righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. You're choosing, this is Romans 6 and 7 also, you're choosing which camp to, to go down. That's which path. Satan offers you a path, God offers you a path. And you're choosing this. And, and most of the time through our day, it's not a, uh, a strong decision-making moment every single second of every day. Most of the time we're just living life. But here's what I've found is if you're not constantly talking to the Lord all day long, this is what Paul said, pray without ceasing. If you're not talking to the Lord all day long, and you're not getting in the Word of God daily, then you, you can kind of, without realizing, you kind of casually begin to actually um, progress toward the path that Satan is laying out without even realizing that in an intentional way. It just seems to be easier. This path seems to be a little bit easier. Why? Because nothing that you're doing is sending off alarms that says, wait a second, this is not the right direction. This is not the right direction. You're, you're making bad decisions. There should, be, there should be warnings that go off in your spirit and your, in your mind and your life. But that comes from constantly spending time with the Lord and in his word, staying in God's word. Okay? But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Again, there is hope. You're not just trapped and you're going to sin no matter what. There, that, that's, that nihilistic thinking is... I, I think sets us up for failure. You have the ability, you have hope in Christ. Jesus, when he died on the cross, not only did he give you his blood to be covered with to make you right with God, but he destroyed the strongholds that Satan has over humanity. Satan can voluntarily lock in with Satan, but they don't have to. Satan has already been defeated, and you can walk in victory in Jesus Christ. So they keep so. <clears throat> Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. This is what Hebrews 10 says, verse 25, is if you keep on sinning willfully, there no longer remains forgiveness. Keep on sinning willfully. This is the mentality is, am I choosing to walk this direction? Am I choosing or am I not? Now, again, I don't believe it's, um, it's as easy to fall away from God as the way I grew up. Uh, I, I think it really is a, a matter of the heart. I think... I think you, you, if you love God, Scripture tells us that, that, um, that, God, that God's grace covers a multitude of sins. That's not the same thing as forgiving. Covers means he's, he's got it taken care of until you get back with him and repent. 
So there is this grace arena that we have that is a really amazing, a lot of maneuverability there. I, I, like Paul says in chapter 8, I don't want to say this because I don't want to sound like it's a, a, a license to sin. It's not a license to sin, but it is an understanding that, that you don't have to condemn yourself every time you trip up on something. You know, life's not over and, and you're going to go to hell no matter what. Just get right back in with God and say, Lord, I've, I've messed up. Forgive me. I want, I want to get this right. But then part of that conversation has to be what? And I'm not going to do it again. If that's not part of the conversation, somewhere there's not a repentant mentality. If there's not a desire to stop doing what's wrong, then there's, then there's not really a heart of repentance. And that's what Hebrews 10 is talking about. So they keep... So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. I've been picking on this some lately. Does the, the also does not love other believers. Um, the more I, I move through political circles, the easier it is for me to see um, Christians that believe this way politically and Christians that believe... Now, I'm not talking like abortion and stuff. I'm saying they're just a little bit on different pages in a God, in a biblical mindset, but they kind of go at each other, right? They kind of attack each other. And I, I don't like that. I don't think that's biblical. There, there are Christians all through Colorado Springs that politically, I don't look at things exactly. I've had this conversation with pastors. There's a lot of pastors that close their churches for COVID. I don't necessarily think they're going to go to hell for that. I think it was a very bad decision, and I think they got their eyes off of Jesus to make that decision, and I've said that to these guys. But are they going to go to hell for it? Maybe if they stayed closed two or three years, maybe there's other issues that we need to address, not whether the building is open. Right? Okay. I don't want to really go down that road very much. So, so the second thing here, Jesus is the key to holiness. Because this doesn't just mean, well, yeah, Jesus died on the cross, so that's... that's um, the holiness mentality. No, Jesus is the key to it. In your life, relationship with Jesus, not just the rules that Jesus gave us, but the relationship with Jesus is the key to, to being holy because it's who he is. It's not the rules that he's given. It's who he is. This is the easiest way I, I've always explained this. I, I don't think... So Jesus says, um, these are the greatest two commandments. Love God with everything about you. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And then he says this sentence afterward. He says, "Against uh, there is, if you obey those two things, there is no law against that. And it doesn't mean it's against the law. It means the law is not where the foundation is. So in other words, the Ten Commandments, you know, don't, don't uh, murder, lie, cheat, steal, those kind of things, right? If you're getting up every single day and that's your foundation, that's your starting point is I need to keep God's rules, there's something missing in the relationship. Somewhere the relationship, you need to develop that relationship so it's not the rules. And this is what Jesus is saying, is if you love God with everything about you, everything, completely, all in with God, and you love your neighbor as yourself, the rules will be down here and you'll be operating up here somewhere. You'll be above the law. Not you're being disobedient to it or don't have to be accountable, but the law is down here. That's not your starting point. You're working on relationship with Jesus. The easiest way I've explained this over the years is I don't get up every morning thinking to myself, well, I hope I don't cheat on Linda today. Hope I can get all the way through the whole day. It's going to be tough. 
right? Where am, I, where am I at in my relationship with Linda? Cheating on her is down here. I'm in relationship. I'm, I'm enjoying who she is. She's enjoying who I am. We're interacting. We, in, we are living life together, trying to draw closer together, trying to, to be uh, better to each other tomorrow than we were yesterday, right? When, when you're trying to decide whether you're going to cheat on your spouse, that's because you have left the relationship with God and your spouse, and you are somewhere down in completely carnal self-narcissism that says, this is about me being fulfilled with somebody else. That's down here. That's not healthy relationship. When you have healthy relationship, you're pursuing the Lord. You're not trying to just not sin. Right? I think we understand the difference in those two. Because it's, it's easy. When you catch yourself starting to have the thoughts and the attitudes and things, and I'm not saying adultery on the subject, that's part of it. But anything that is pulling you away from God, it's the same with Eve. When she started thinking, oh, wait, maybe, maybe I want a little bit of that evil. I already got good. I'm walking and talking with God every day. But maybe, you know that snake's making some good arguments. Right? Guys, that's where we've got to be careful. That's where the lights have to go off. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight. That's the first thing that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So there is the weight of life that slows us down, but there's also sin that is, part, that is also a weight that is tripping us up. So you've got both. Sometimes the things that are messing with our life in a negative way are not necessarily in the category of sin, but we know they're not healthy for us. Right? We know the difference in the two. Okay? I, I try to stay away from sugar and things like that because really it's because of my wife. I was about to say it's, a, it's because I'm a diabetic, but I don't really care enough about the diabetes. I'm just scared of Linda. I just, that really is it. I start to eat something, she looks at me. You know, that kind of thing. But, um, but I, I, you know, I know that, that there are things better than, say, Twinkies, right? But every, you know what I found? I, I went to the fair or the stock show like 10 years ago, and they had Twinkies with bacon in them, battered and fried. No, 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 don't ooh. Mm. That was, I just stood there for a while while they're making it, just cried, just while they're. But I know there are things that are not good for me, and, and I do try to not eat those things for the most part, because part of the reason I'm getting older, you don't, you don't know this when you're 30, but when you, when you turn 50, little things, working out, mountain biking, all that kind of stuff, your body doesn't respond the same way. You toss a Twinkie in there, and it's way worse. You don't know that until you're my age doing it. But this is the thing. I know there are things that are not healthy for me. But, they're, they're, but I still, I'm saying spiritually, they're, they're not healthy, but sometimes I've still kind of let them be involved in my life. They're not sin, but they're weight, and they're hurting me. And if those weights keep dragging me, drown, da- dragging me down, dragging me down, eventually it turns into sin. So you've got the weight and then you've got the sin. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Guys, this is where holiness is at. Keep your eyes on Jesus. What would Jesus do here? How does he think here? How would he want me to say this? Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's, it's so simple, but it seems to be so elusive to us. Keep our eyes on Jesus. All the stuff going on at work, keep your eyes on Jesus. All the stuff at, at home, keep your eyes on Jesus. You know, I found this, I found this truth years ago. It doesn't mean I, I always practice it exactly like I'm supposed to. <clears throat> but I realized if I keep my eyes on Jesus, it's amazing how less... Linda irritates me. I'm process. I'm, not, I'm being serious, mostly. If I keep my eyes on Jesus, Linda becomes a better wife. Right? Are you following me? Because most of the problem, most of the reason, not all, most of the reason Linda irritates me or does something else is because I'm the problem. I'm the one that is coming up short. I'm the one that's struggling. If I keep my eyes on Jesus, it's amazing how, how much perfect she becomes as a wife. The moment I take my eyes off Jesus, it's amazing how quickly that changes and she becomes subpar. Right? Because why? It's not really her. It's me. We don't like to take responsibility for our own actions, though. That's a major part of our existence in, in, in American culture today is it's not my fault. So, you know, it, I, I had this, I was, this was part of a bill that was being run and people were debating, but this is the way, this is the way liberals, specifically um, leftist Democrats say this. They don't think there should be any personal responsibility for anybody on any circumstance. They think, and, and this is not something I'm supposing, they say this that there should be no jails and prisons. The way they say it is, why do we keep putting people in cages? Open the cages, set them free. Well, well here's, here's this same group, the same group of people say, no prisons, no jails, let everybody out. Those are the same people that think that I'm not supposed to have a gun. You see that train of thought there? If you open all the prisons and let everybody out, I'm getting four or five new guns that day. I'm going to get one of the big old crank ones from the 1800s. I'm going to get everything you can imagine. Because, because we don't like personal responsibility, so therefore there's no accountability, and we're allowed to do whatever we want under all circumstances. Nobody can actually be held accountable. I, I had this conversation again this last week. I know this is kind of surprising to, to most of us in here, you guys, so I'm running two pro-life bills this year, okay? Very similar. One is almost exact. The other one's a little different because I put a little bit more personhood of the baby in there. In other words, once a baby is conceived, it has the same 14th Amendment rights as you and I do, okay? So I put that in there. And you know the, the pushback I get the strongest in, in, of everybody? Democrats, Republicans, all these different groups. You know the strongest pushback I get for that is from the pro-life groups, we will not allow you, we will not be a part of anything that makes the mother guilty. This is not, this is not the leftist. These are the pro-life groups. The doctors are guilty, Planned Parenthood's are guilty, society's guilty, medical practice of, of some kind is guilty, but not 
the mother. And here, 100% of the time, if the mother would not have an abortion, we would not have abortions. Now, I understand there are certain circumstances. I get this. It's a tiny, tiny percentage, but there are certain circumstances where the mother truly is a victim of the whole thing. I get that. But I think you can figure that out in adjudication. We don't, to just say the mothers are not guilty, guys, that has got to stop. But this is why we'll never, ever, we'll never, ever uh, overturn abortion in America, ever. Because your pro-life groups are fighting the strongest. When do we just hold people accountable? We, I was about to say, we, you know, we hold um, thieves and murderers and everything else, but we don't even do that too much anymore nowadays. There's always a reason. There's always a reason. Somebody's mother didn't treat them right or something. It's somebody else's fault except the person that's doing it. Guys, we've got to be careful because this has worked its way into the church and, and we are not guilty of anything except maybe just kind of being not as good as we could. Except Jesus didn't die on the cross for us not being as good as we could. He died on the cross because we are sinners. And we need to be saved from this. We need to be delivered from this. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The third thing, holiness benefits us and others. We know this part. We know this part intuitively, but I, I don't... We just don't practice it sometimes. Hebrews chapter 12, um, going down to verse 10. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. As, as all three of my kids are, are adults now, and, and I've got grandkids, and I... Um, I, I see this differently than I used to. I didn't understand. I wish, I wish and I'm, I'm sure I'm the only parent that's ever said this. I wish I could go back in time and do some things differently. Okay? Um, there are certain... Um, th th this is what we don't understand is we are constantly teaching, developing, training, acculturating our kids all the time. And you don't realize it, <clears throat> all the little things... Now, these aren't necessarily bad things. I can give you an example of one that, that I trained and I trained and I trained or Linda trained and trained and trained our kids. And, there was an, and it became, um, I don't necessarily think it's a positive, but it's not the most, I mean, negative, but I don't think it's the most positive all the time. And um, I, I'll just give you an example. Uh, all three of my children, uh, Linda taught them how to be very sarcastic. And... Um, I'm very disappointed in her over the years with this. But all three of my children are very sarcastic. That bothers me sometimes. Not all the time because I think that's actually a healthy trait in life that we've lost. That I think is actually, you can illuminate many things through sarcasm. You cannot illuminate in any other way. And the biggest one scripturally is religiosity. You can illuminate religiosity. Jesus did it by using sarcasm. But... There should be balance, I guess. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> but I do look at things like that, and I could name some others that really are not anybody's business, but I know it, it's not sin, it's not a bad thing, but it, I, I could have just tweaked some things as life went along, and my th three children would have been a little different. Because here's where I'm now noticing it, is in my grandkids. 
I'm not saying the sarcasm. Um, that, that really, I have a wonderful daughter-in-law, so that's not the case there. But, but other little things along the way. Because see, here's, here's, when you become older parents, you realize this. When you're younger parents, you don't see it. A little bit of walking close to the line of you shouldn't walk close to that line. And your children, it becomes way stronger later. Right? A little bit of, well, we, we shouldn't act this way. But it's not that big of a deal. Your children will be stronger later in that. And you don't realize that until, you know, your kids are grown adults and they're doing some things that are destructive to them. And you realize they got it from you. Holiness affects everybody. When you pursue the Lord, your children are way more likely to pursue the Lord. When Jesus is the center focus of your life, your children are way more likely to have Jesus as the center focus of their life. Right? Now, obviously, this is not a blanket formula or whatever, but as we see where holiness benefits everybody, holiness benefits me personally in my life, but holiness benefits my marriage, Holiness benefits other people around me in my life. But we don't, we don't think about it like that. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living in holy, a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. That is choice. You have to choose holiness. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. This is where accountability comes in. I talked about that. We, we talked about it the last couple of Wednesday nights quite a bit, but... This, this accountability thing, to be able to speak into somebody's life, it is becoming less and less possible in today's society because um, everybody gets offended by everything. You can't come to a, a good Christian friend and say, hey, I think, this is, I think this is harmful for you. I think this is hurting you. Well, who are you to judge? I mean, you can quickly go down that road. I've had a lot of people ask me about this. As pastor, shouldn't you go to so-and-so and say that? No, not necessarily. Until somebody gives me the arena to say that, the only place I say it is here, corporately, right? If you, if you give me the arena to say something in your life, first, I'm not going to believe that unless it's proven to me over time. I've made that mistake before. But I'll, I'll speak into somebody's life if they give me that opportunity. And, and still, most of the time, it doesn't go well. I still know I have to sometimes because it's, you know, God's telling me to. But I just don't for the most part. Same reason you don't. Because he's saying here, this is what legitimate Christianity looks like. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting you. Unforgiveness, bitterness, um, unchecked anger, those things destroy us. And we can watch friends go into this and knowing it's going to destroy them. I had a guy six years ago tell me, we were at a breakfast, and he was talking about a person that had harmed him and his, and his wife. And he said to me just right there blatantly, he said, I will never forgive that man ever. And I said, you've got to be careful because you are setting your eternal destruction, not theirs. You are defining you are defining the, the, the arena that will take you away from God. As forgiveness has to happen. We have to forgive. No matter what they've done, no matter what, we cannot let this, this poison get in our spirit 
and control us. We've got to subdue it. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. For years and years, I didn't understand this. I mean, I read the story. He trades his birthright for soup, but he was hungry. I mean, that's literally the way I looked at it for years. But he was hungry. It's just a birthright because I didn't understand the significance to the birthright. That the oldest son was the one who carried not just the name, but carried the spiritual lineage of the family on their shoulders. That the firstborn son is the one that's going to make sure that, that the generations that follow know who God is, know the things of God, and has taught this from their father, and then they pass it along. It was, it was mostly spiritual. It didn't have anything to do. I mean, it was a small part of it. It was land and, and all that kind of stuff. It was predominantly the blessings of God, the spirit of God, the covering, the authority of God. And Esau, just for a quick moment, he's like, I'd rather have soup than that. And I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense. I, w- I would rather, the same thing, going back to Genesis 4, 7, I'd rather have this limited carnal desire fulfilled right now than the fulfillment of God's plan for my life. That's the significance here. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. The fourth thing, choose a holy lifestyle. It's choice. We've got to choose. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, this is, this is the progression we've got to see in our mind. Since you know Jesus, since you know Jesus, throw off your old sinful nature and your form of way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Since you know Jesus, make a choice. If you're still doing all this other stuff, then maybe you haven't really let Jesus be God over your life. When do we, because I know Jesus, I'm I'm choosing this. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Put it on, like a coat. Put it on. Choose to put on your new nature every single day. So stop telling lies. That's, That's pretty strong, right? Not a lot of wiggle room there. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't, quote, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Anger is not a sin within itself. But when we let anger control us, it's a sin. When you let anger get out of control, you get out of control, it's a sin. If you're a thief, quit stealing. I mean, this is kind of common sense stuff, but, it's, but why is it written? Because we don't do common sense very good sometimes. If you're a thief, quit stealing. and you, Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. This, this is one that this bothers me as a pastor sometimes. Is As Christians, we use wrong language. We cuss. I don't understand this. I, I, I was having a conversation with um, four other uh, state representatives who were standing at the front of the chamber, and they were talking, and one of the, one of the um, um, representatives comes up to me, and she says, okay, pastor, which means we're talking spiritual, because my title is representative in that building, but uh, she comes up to me and says, pastor, forgive me, because I'm about to cuss. 
And I, which means what? Premeditation. <laughs> this isn't like, oops. She's, playing, she's thinking what she's going to say. And I said, here's another option. Don't. She's what? Now, let me, let me give you a little context. Almost, except for maybe two representatives, all of them cuss like crazy. They all claim to be Christians. They all cuss horribly. Horribly. Some of them are standing right there. Where there's five of us standing there, four of them, one of me. And I said, just don't. She said, what? I said, just don't cuss. She said, what do you mean? And you could see like three or four of the others are like. I said, just don't cuss. She said, do you ever cuss? I said, not since 1988. What? I got saved in 1988. I've never cussed since then. Not one time have I cussed since then. Because I don't have to. This, this. This thing that we do as Christians where we use words that you know Jesus would not use. But we do it. Because why? Because we are choosing to. And I can prove it because all of them are standing around there like, it's not that easy. You know, sometimes you just come. And I said, okay, but when you go down to the well and you speak, you don't use any cuss words when you're down there. Because you know that is not okay and you will be removed from the well. It goes against the rules of the house. So you cannot cuss. When you go to church, do you cuss in church? No. Why? Because you did, for your mind, this is an unacceptable place. Except for the fact that you are the church and you represent Jesus every single second of every single day. So what is an arena that Jesus would like, okay, this is okay, you can drop your guard and just cuss. And, and yes, I was a sailor and I cussed like a sailor. I hate that term because I was also a sailor when I got... Saved, and I didn't cuss. Guys, it's choice. Don't blame it on somebody else. Don't blame it on your, your Irish background or something. Just, just don't cuss. He says this here. Don't use foul or abusive language. It's that simple. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, 22 through 24 is the fruits of the Spirit. A lot of times we don't realize the three verses preceding is the fruits of Satan. Fruits of the Spirit, 22, 23, 24. Fruits of Satan, 19, 20, 21. I want to read to you 19, 20, and 21. So there's no confusion as to what sin is. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling. Why can't we just get along? Why can't we get along with people? I, I don't mean having disagreements. I, 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 have a, I have a side gig now where I disagree with almost everybody. Okay, that's not what I'm talking about. You're going to have, as a Christian, you're going to have to disagree with sin. But that doesn't mean you have to be uh, fighting with people all the time. Right? Jealousy. Outburst of anger, selfish ambition. Why do we push our own self so much into the arena? I know there's a lot of issues, uh, insecurities and things like that. Guys, we don't have to. Why don't you just let God be the one that, that likes what you're doing and not worry about everybody else? Just let God be in charge. Dissension, division, 
Envy, drunkenness. I always mention this here. I, I don't think you can prove through Scripture that drinking is a sin. I would love for there to be a nice sentence that says that it would make my arguments easier. Okay, But I don't think you can prove that drinking is a sin. But it does say here drunkenness is. There's, you cannot get around that. Drunkenness is a sin. So here's the question I always ask. <clears throat> what is God's blood alcohol level? I only say that to mess with you. What if it's, what if it's a whole fifth of whiskey? I don't think it is. What if it's one drop? Right? We don't know. That's the thing is you don't know. What if it's two drops, but you, you only had one? Okay, here's the thing. This is why I don't know for sure what God's blood alcohol level is. So here's how I make sure I never, ever get drunk. I don't drink. I can't get drunk. It's impossible for me to get drunk. Drunk is sin. I just don't drink. It's not worth it to me. Why take a chance, right? Okay, that was free. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. This is where our hope is. Through the blood of Jesus, you can be clean. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Why don't you stand with me? You can choose anything you want. But I think that the message is done and proved is you can make that choice following Jesus, holiness, true holiness. Lord, help me to be more like you and less like me. Every time I want to do something that's me, help me to, to control that and bring it into submission to you. Right? So here's what I'd like us to pray. Simple prayer. You're going to pray it your way, I'm going to pray it my way. Simple prayer. Lord, convict me. That's pretty simple. Lord, convict me. And then when he does that, you're just going to ask him to forgive you and give you the plan to change it. But the question we have is, Lord, convict me. What, what am I doing wrong? What am I saying wrong? What am I thinking wrong? Convict me. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we ask you. In our, just to get in our minds and our spirits right now. Holy Spirit, bring your presence Holy Spirit, you said that you bring us into all truth and you convict us. You reveal to us the things that are not matching up. So Lord, help us. Lord, I pray for me. I pray for everyone else in here, but Lord, specifically convict me. Convict me, Lord Jesus. Show me what I need to do different. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me clean and help me to put on my new nature. 
when I get up in the morning, I'm going to walk in you. I'm going to put on my new nature. Lord, you showed us this list of sins to give us the framework, to give us the guide. But Lord, I pray that every one of us in this building, that we could pursue you to the point where the list is not the priority anymore. It's just loving you and being loved by you. Jesus, wash us clean. God, I also pray that, that as you convict us, as you show us the things that need to change, give us a plan of what to do about that. Give us the plan, Lord. How do we, how do we not be caught in those traps? How, how can we set ourselves apart to this? That we're truly following you. We're truly pursuing you. That we need you, Jesus. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your word. We need relationship with you so we don't have to, to, to sin. We don't have to be involved in the stuff that we know is destroying us. Convict us. Convict us, Jesus. Jesus, cover us with your blood. Lord, I pray that every person in this room walks out of here forgiven, knowing they're forgiven, not condemned. That we feel your forgiveness. We feel your cleansing. That we not just know it in our head and accept it by faith, embrace it, but Lord, that we feel it. Take the weight of sin off our shoulders. Take the weight of of the world, off our lives. Let us just be brand new in you. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. God, give us checks. Give us convictions this week as we're processing this to keep us focused on you. So that our minds, our bodies, spirit will be right with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So my suggestion is to, um, to, to do something, to make a list, do something. Don't just tell yourself right now, okay, this is how I'm going to combat this. Put this down on paper. Make a little plan. Do something that puts a little action to it that says this is how, when this temptation happens, this is how I'm going to combat it. Because we have our weaknesses, right? Know that ahead of time. Build a plan. This is how I say no to this. This is how I combat it. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you an opportunity. In fact, tonight, potentially, during your Super Bowl parties, the Lord is going to give you an opportunity to talk to somebody, pray with somebody See how their lives go and do something and maybe share Jesus with somebody. So take the opportunity. God, honor your life. It's a guarantee. Shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are they're here. And we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.